0: right. Hey, who's glad to be at church today? Anybody glad to be in God's house? Can we just give God the best praise? Amen. Hey, I'm so glad you're here. So glad you're at our first ever 1045 service. We had an incredible turnout at the nine o'clock service as well. Thank you for changing service times. Thank you for being flexible. And we are doing it to, to plunder hell and populate heaven. Just make as much room as we can among all of our services To make a difference and to make an impact. Amen, everybody. So come on, give yourself a hand for making it to 1045 today. Yeah. And a big hello to everybody who's online with us as well. We're glad you're with us wherever you're watching from. Every week I like to look back there uh, into that camera. And I want you to know, church, that when I look into that camera, uh, I don't really see it as a camera. I see that as a missionary. Those are missionaries back there because they're going to places we, we won't be going, like we wouldn't go otherwise. They're taking us into cities, taking us into states, into nations that we couldn't go on our own. And so can we just give it up for everybody who's on the other side of the camera today? We're glad you're with us, glad you're part of our church family. And uh, I'm, I'm going to jump right into the message today. I don't have uh, uh, much to talk about at the beginning. I want to jump right in because this is uh, some really, I think, important content for us to cover today. We're in this uh, part two of this series we're calling counterculture, And what we're trying to do is we're studying the book of Daniel to see how, how did they stand? How did they make it through a culture that was counter to their religion, counter to their to to what God was calling of them. Uh, How should we respond to the culture around us? And that's what God's calling us to do, is to just live a life that's counter to what everybody else is doing, to what the world is doing. So last week, we talked about truth and grace. Those are pivotal. That's vital for, it's the foundation of this series, if I could say it that way. If you missed last week, go watch it, Grace and Truth. Because it is woven all throughout this series. We don't do one without the other. We have both of these. Next week, we're going to talk about standing firm in a bow down kind of world, right? How do you stand firm when the culture says you need to bow? But today, we're going to talk about the signs, three signs of a changing culture. Like the way, the way you might ask it is, how do you know, how, Pastor Ben, how do we know we're not in Kansas anymore, right? By the way, do you realize that people, even in Texas, think Wichita Falls is in Kansas? I've run into people all the time, Yeah, you know, Wichita Falls, that's up in Kansas, right? No, 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 it's in Texas. How do you not know? Texas, right? So how do, you know, how do we know that the culture is shifting? How do we know that the culture is changing? And what I want to do is I want to go back to... Uh, Daniel chapter 1. We're going to study all of the, uh, the first chapter of the book of Daniel today. The uh, first six or seven chapters of Daniel is about history of what happened. How did he stand firm? How did they love well? And then it becomes prophetic in nature after that. And so we're going to go to Daniel chapter 1, recap a little bit, and then jump into the signs of a changing culture. Are you ready today? Yes. All right, all right, all right. Here we go. If you're ready, pull your notes out. You can follow along there and also on the screen Daniel chapter 1, it says that in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. So they were, um, he came, God exiled the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judah. Why? Because they had been disobedient for 490 years. They said, you know what? Our way's better. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to live how we want to live, God. And you know what? We're not really concerned about what you want. And so for 490 years, they disobeyed God. And God said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to let you be exiled for 70 years. One year of exile for every year that you chose not to let the land have a Sabbath rest. That, that, he was serious about it. So the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah. I want you to notice that. I want you to understand that God will allow you. To go through some difficult times. The Lord delivered Jehoiakim and Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. God will allow his church to go through some difficult times. So that, I believe, so that the church will be galvanized. So that the people of God will come back to him like never before. They will again realize that they are poor in spirit without Jesus Christ. They're in desperate need of him. And so... So uh, he he delivers Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar along with some of the articles from the church, the temple of God. And and Nebuchadnezzar carried these off to his temple. He takes the things of God and he says, we're going to do something a little bit different with these. We're going to put them in my temple that serves my God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites. So not all of the Israelites were exiled. Some of them were killed. Some of them were, were murdered during the, the siege. Um, he allowed some of them to stay back in, in Judah and in Israel and in Jerusalem, mostly the ones who were poor, who couldn't really add value to his kingdom. But then he took some of the Israelites from the royal family, from the nobility, some that had potential. And I want you to notice something about the people he chose. They were all young. And and that is a tactic that the enemy uses today. He focuses, he wants to indoctrinate a young generation. Come on, somebody. He's, He's not after us old people. We set in our ways. He wants to get to the young people. And how does he do it? He does it through education. He... He's going to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. We're going to teach you what we want you to believe. We're going to teach you how you're supposed to act and what you're supposed to think. We're going to indoctrinate you. That's his plan, and he focuses on the young people. And so the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. So this is, uh, he's saying, we're not only going to tell you what you're supposed to think, what you're supposed to believe, how you're supposed to act. We're going to tell you what you can eat. We're going to tell you everything that you can do and what you can't do. And so they were to be trained for three years. And after that three-year period of training and indoctrination, they were to enter the king's service. In other words, we're going to make you the poster children of our cause. You're going to be the face of what we're trying to do. Look at these young people that we're raising up. Don't you want to be like them, right? And so among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. We know those last three as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Abednego, so that's their names. That was, that, those were the names that they were, that were changed to. So we're going to talk about that in a moment. But if you know the story of Daniel, then you understand uh, and you realize that the, the, the thing about Daniel and his friends is they did not bow. The culture was trying to uh, force them and just believing something different, to acting a different way, to, to living a different way. And they chose not to bow to the culture. They chose to live counter culture. And that's what I'm calling us to do as a church. Amen. I'm calling us to live a life that is counter the culture around us. They chose to stand when everybody else told them to bow. Amen. All right? So, so what I wanna to do today is I'll, I wanna teach us, I wanna spend a few minutes talking about the three signs of a changing culture. So, how do we know it's changing? And what I I think is interesting about these three signs is that they're the same signs that we find in the book of Daniel. What does that mean? That means the devil is playing the same game now that he was playing then. Let me say it this way. He's been running the same play for thousands of years, everybody. He's running the same play. Why does he run the same play? Because it works. Because we keep falling for it. Because we keep going, yeah, sounds good to me. I think I'll try that. He's running the same thing, and so I want to show us today three three ways we can know the culture is changing around us, and for each sign of the changing culture, I've got a response that we ought to have, a right response. Are you ready? Okay, so um, in your notes, if you'll pull those out, there's, there's some fill in the blanks along the way. I want to take a look at the three signs and then the three responses, and then I have two additional thoughts at the end of the message today, all right? So here's the first sign of a changing culture. We know culture is changing when it wants to change your identity. Culture wants to change your identity. Um, it wants to change who you are. It wants to change what you believe about yourself. Culture is it's spreading some lies about who you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to believe and, and how you're supposed to behave and what's culturally acceptable. And the enemy has a script for your life there is a hey God has a plan for your life but don't you know that Satan has one too all right right, so we just need to be aware of that that there are some lies that we've been believing about ourselves and the the question is do you believe what God says about you or do you believe what the world says about you which one are you going to go with and so I want you to notice the first thing that Ashpenaz does is he changes their names he gives them new names verse seven Chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, he gave the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach. And to Azariah, Abednego. And and, and you need to know this. That your name is a sign of your identity. So like I know who you are based on your name. That tells me a lot about yourself. So my name, my given name is Benjamin Daniel Murray. I got two Bible names. They loaded me up, right? None of my other brothers have biblical names. I think this was after my parents got saved. And they're like, well, we should probably name one of our sons a Christian name, a Bible name. So Benjamin means son of the right hand. And Daniel means God is my judge. And uh, I, I need to tell you that I didn't always live up to those names. I haven't always lived up to them. And sometimes I was the son of the left hand. You know what I'm talking about? I was not. I was not. I, I, I was not living like God was my judge. There were times when I thought, I don't have a judge. I'll do whatever I want to do. So if you know the story of Benjamin in the Bible, his mom wanted to name him what? Benoni, which means son of my suffering. Well, I didn't realize it, but um, when, when I was a young man or a young boy, my dad would call me Benoni. And I didn't realize until later on he was calling me Man, you you're making me suffer right now. You're, you're the son of my suffering. That's what it means, son of my suffering. So uh, so that's my name, Benjamin Daniel Murray. But I've lived opposite of that name for for part of my life. I, I just didn't live up to it. I needed attention. I needed I, I needed I needed some love, and I would do anything for a laugh. I would do anything to get attention. In fact, I was not the teacher's pet, I was the teacher's pain. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, I just. I, I caused a ruckus, and I spent a lot of time in the principal's office. I knew exactly where he hid his ashtray, under his desk. I, I knew where it was. I spent a lot of time in there. As a child, I got labeled some things. You know, that's what happens. Uh, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, they'll call it family of origin or food. And, and it's things that happen to us in our childhood that we carry with us later on in life. And so we, we come up with these these labels for ourselves, something happens, someone causes us something and, and it becomes a label, so my dad died when I was seven. I was labeled fatherless. I was placed in remedial classes all throughout elementary school, and I was labeled slow. I get held back in the third grade, and I was labeled a failure. I, I got a paddling in every grade <laughs> except uh, up until the ninth grade, okay so I've, I, I, was, I was in trouble a lot. I was, I was labeled trouble. Hey, you don't want Murray in your class. He's he going to be trouble. You don't want him in there. He's going he to be trouble. And so I had these labels working in my life. And, and, and see, that's the plan of the enemy. He wants to label you something that's not true about you. He wants you to believe something about yourself. He wants you to believe that you're, that you're dumb. He wants you to believe that you're slow, that you're a failure. And in fact, some of you here today, you've, been, you've labeled yourself or maybe you've been labeled stupid. Stupid. And despite the fact that you've earned college degrees and you have an incredible job right now, you still see yourself, you still view yourself through the lens of that, of that person who called you stupid when you were a little kid. Maybe for some of you, you feel worthless. You labeled yourself worthless. And despite the fact that you've achieved so much in this life, you're an incredible mom or dad, you view yourself through a lens of worthlessness I'm not good enough I'll never be able to measure up Some of you were labeled fat And, 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 be, and despite the, the fact That you strive really hard To have a good diet And, and look a certain way you, you, you never seem to cross over that label I labeled full eyes, right? I've been wearing bifocals Since the second grade Benjamin Franklin, right? Benjamin Murray over here Wearing bifocals You've been labeled, and that's the enemy's tactic. I just need somebody to know today that you are not what the world says you are. You are who God says you are. You're a child of the Most High God. You're a royal priesthood, a Holy Nation, a people who belongs to God. He's called you out of darkness and into His glorious, marvelous, magnificent, awesome light. That is, that's who you are. You're called out, and so one of the things I love about our church is that that, that you can find freedom from the past. You can find freedom from those labels through a small group. You can get to know somebody and start taking off the mask and talking about what, what you've experienced in life. And, and that's why we do small groups. It's why we do step two of the growth track, which is all about your spiritual gifts. And, and some of you, you're still living in the label the world put on you because you haven't figured out what God says about you. And that's why you go to the growth track and discover what has he put, what spiritual gifts has he put on the inside of you. And that's what we want for you is to to live that out, right? Live out your God-given label, right? So so look at this. Um, He changes their names, but let me show you what their names were and what their names were changed to. All right, check this out. Daniel's name is God is my judge. But look what Ashpenaz changes it to. Belteshazzar, which, which means, O lady, wife of the God Baal, protect the king." He, he changes his name from a male name to a female name. He, he gives him a girl's name. And, and what you would need to know is that in every culture that falls away from God, in every culture that turns away from God, gender confusion is always there. Yes. You need to know it. It's the oldest play in the book, everybody. Satan's been running that play for thousands of years, for eons. And why does, he, why does he want there to be gender confusion? Because he's trying to confuse people's relationship with each other and with God. Gives, uh, gives Daniel, uh, goes from God is almighty, he's all powerful to, no, your God needs to be protected. So what happens to the, the next guy? His name is Hananiah. His name means Yahweh has been gracious. Yahweh, you've always been there. Yahweh, you're so good to me. He changes his name to... I'm fearful of God. So he he goes from a a gracious God who loves you, who is for you, who wants the best for you, to a God you need to be afraid of, you need to fear. He doesn't love you. He's not concerned about you. He's not just trying to mess up your relationships with each other. He wants to mess up your spirituality. He wants you to see God as this mean God, this iron-fisted, you better do what I say or it's over kind of God. Mishael, his name was, who can compare to God? I love that his name answers the question. Who can compare to my God? Nobody. Nobody can compare to him. Changes his name to Meshach, which means I'm despised, contemptible, humiliated. I'm a nobody. I'm worthless. I'm good for nothing. I can't do anything right. I'll never be anything good. His name goes from confidence to coward. Confident to coward. Check out the next one. Azariah. Yahweh has helped. Yahweh, you've been been there. You've been faithful. You've always been by my side. You've never left me. Changes his name to Abednego, which means the servant of Nebo. So he goes from son of of God to slave of man. And this is what culture wants to do. Culture wants to change your identity. I need somebody to know today that, that the God who designed you is the one who gets to define you Amen. that we let god tell us who we are we don't get our identity from the culture and the world around us the god who made you has the he's the only one who has the right to define your life he knew you while you were in your mother's womb while you were a twinkle in your dad's eye he created you you are fearfully and wonderfully made the complexities of your life are woven together he knows you so what do i do pastor ben i get like When culture wants to change my identity, when culture is trying to confuse me, what do I do? I need to know who I am. When culture wants to change my identity, I need to know who I am. Who do I belong to? Where is my home? My home is not here on this earth. I'm just passing through, everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm not a physical being with a spiritual experience. I'm a spiritual being with a physical experience. I'm just passing through on my way to heaven. All right, here's number two, the second thing I want you to know. You know culture is shifting when culture wants to compromise your convictions. wants you to compromise your convictions. Compromise what you stand for. Compromise what you believe in. Compromise uh, the the word of God. Compromise the values that you have. And as Christians, I I think we need to agree, I, I hope we all agree, that the word of God is our standard. It's, it is, this is where our convictions come from. So my role is not to convict you. That's the Holy Spirit's role. Holy Spirit convicts you. I, I'm just a mouthpiece up here, bringing some hope. hope. Hopefully I can deliver a message that speaks to your heart and let the Holy Spirit do His role. But you need to know what your convictions are. And our culture really doesn't care what our convictions are. It's... It's not, this is not an us against them kind of thing. I hope you understand what I'm saying. This is not us against the world. It's not that. It's it's just that we have to understand who we are in Christ, who we are. What do we believe? What are our convictions? What do we stand for? And and I love this. Daniel was the kind of guy who could, he knew what he believed in, and he chose, he resolved not to defile himself. One translation says, he made up his mind. He made up his mind. And I think God's looking for some people, some believers who would just make up their mind. I, I'm gonna resolve not to defile myself. Remember, the king wanted him to eat certain food. Yeah. You're gonna eat this food. You're gonna act this kind of way. You're gonna learn this kind of language. And so he resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and the wine. And he, he asked the chief official I love this. He made up his mind, and, and he, he, didn't, he didn't come out swinging. He didn't have an attitude. He didn't slam his fist down on the table and tell them if they don't turn, they're going to burn, right? He, he didn't tell them, y'all going to hell. He didn't say that. <laughs> he, he just says, hey, is there a way that we can hold on to our values? He asked for permission. Is there a way we can, we can accomplish what you want us to accomplish without us caving in to, to this pressure? Can, can we hold on to our value? He asked the chief official, permission he didn't say we're gonna do whatever we want to do take it or leave it no he says could we work it out is there something we can do about this and, and I need I need you to know today that it's a whole lot easier for you to for you to stand up for what you believe in if you make up your mind now what you believe in let me say it this way it's easier to hold your standards if you've made up your mind before the temptation comes You don't need to be trying to figure out when you're tempted what you believe. You need to know now what you believe. You need to know, hey, I'm I'm not trying to see how close to the line I can get without sinning. I want to see how far away from the line I can get. I don't even want to be close to the line. I don't want to blur the line. I want to get away from the line. I don't want... I'm just trying to set some values. I'm trying to hold to some convictions. And some of you feel the pressure of that today. Some of you you, you, you serve God, you love God, you want to do what's right, but you, at the same time, culture's putting some pressure on you. In school, at the university, at your workplace. Do I take the stand? Do I, do I cave into the pressure? What do I do? How do I navigate this? What do I do, Pastor Ben? Well, when culture wants you to compromise in your notes, you need to reaffirm what you believe. You need to know already. You don't need to be trying to figure out what you believe. I encourage you, do it today. Know today, what do I believe? Where do I stand? What are my convictions? And I want you to notice what happens with Daniel here. So he resolves in himself. He he made up his mind. I'm not going to cave in. I'm not doing it. And and notice what happens. He's going to stand firm, love well. And look at this. God causes the official to show favor to him. He causes the effect, because he loved well and he stood firm, he caused the official to have compassion on Daniel. What's happening? He's gaining influence with him. Daniel is gaining influence with the top official. But the official told Daniel, he said, Hey, man, I'm, a, I'm afraid. If you don't know Nebi, uh, I'm afraid of him. Okay, so uh, he's a, he's the one who assigned you this food and drink. and And I don't know why you should be looking worse than all of the other young men your age. The king, he's, he'll kill me if, if I don't have you looking like everybody else. And so Daniel just says, well, well, Hey, uh, is it possible that you could test your servants? Would you test us for 10 days? Just 10 days, put us through a test, give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Now this is where the Daniel fast comes from. Y'all heard of the Daniel fast before? Nothing But water and vegetables. You give up meat, you give up dairy, those kinds of things. This is where it comes from. Test us. Run us through the ringer. Don't give us the choice food, just vegetables and water to drink. And then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food. And then treat us with whatever you find. If we look better than everybody else, good. Maybe we can keep doing what we're doing. But if we don't, let's, let's reconvene you. We'll, we'll reevaluate. Treat us in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this, and, and, and Ashpenaz tested them for 10 days. And this thought of testing brings me to the next point. And that is in your notes. It's this. You know culture shifting when it wants to create a confrontation with you. Culture wants to create a confrontation. Oh, you believe? Oh, you believe that? Oh, you're a Christian? Oh, you think this way? And it's creating a confrontation. And tests are coming. I think we should just be aware of that. Let's acknowledge. Tests are going to happen. Like, God never promised that we wouldn't go through hard times. He never promised that we wouldn't be tested. But how are we going to stand when we are tested? What's going to happen? And, and some of you feel that confrontation now. You feel it in college, maybe what's being taught. Or you feel it in, in a pressure through a relationship that you're in. And you've got to be prepared for the confrontation and I think the church really isn't doing a very good job of it like capital C church we're not really doing a great job with this confrontation there's usually two responses that we have one of them is pretty dogmatic it's like by God you better do what he says or you it's, it's, it's like this you better turn or you're gonna burn glory to God but, well, don't give glory for that I, mean, I don't want people to burn right uh, it's, it's, it's this kind of dogmatic I'm not on social media anymore But when I was You saw it all the time It's the comments It's the sharp, it's the sharp messages It's the things that, that's like I'm right, you're wrong You're going to hell It's all of that, right? In fact, I, I remember hearing a preacher one time He, he said this, was, this is what someone might be dogmatic about He goes This is what he said, honest to God He says, he says You may not go to hell for smoking cigarettes But it'll make you smell like you've been there alright Maybe may be right you may be right but listen to me God didn't call you to be right He called you to be effective He called you to reach people He, he called you to be salt and light come on somebody he, and, and, and even if you're right well Pastor Ben I'm right I know I'm right you may be right but if you're not helping them get closer to God maybe you're wrong. That's all I'm saying. So so there's a confrontation that's one way is it One method I see is just dogmatic, but then the other method I see is people putting their heads in the sand. They act like there's no big deal. There's nothing wrong. You can come as you are, stay as you are. God doesn't want you to change. He doesn't want you to be any different. He's okay with you just as you are. You can be who you want to be, and and everything works out because love wins, and that's not right either. And so what's happening is there's a group of people who are trading the Bible. They're they're trading the authenticity, the absoluteness of the Bible. They think they love people better than God loves people. And they're doing it all in the name of love. So what do I do? Well, when culture creates a confrontation and it confronts me, I've got to stand firm. I'm going to love well, but I I need to stand for what I believe in. I need to stand for what's right. And so... That's the three signs of a changing culture and the three responses to the changing culture. What should we do? And what I want to do is I want to give you two more responses. I just felt as I was preparing this, two things that I think God really wants of us as the church, as his people. And it's it's this. When we're in a culture that's changing, a culture that's moving away from God, a culture that's putting pressure on you that's confronting you two things number one in your notes I need to live in the culture without living like the culture I really think this is key that I can be in the world but not look like the world that I can live in it but not live like it and the truth is we don't really have a choice like you the only way out of the world is when we die. So as long as we're here, unless you build a bunker somewhere and live off solar, you've got to be around people. And I get it. The world would be great if it weren't for the people. But you gotta, you've gotta, you've gotta, got we're here. We can't get out of it. So I'm gonna live in it but I'm not going to live like it." That's exactly what Daniel and his three friends did. In our role, see, see what we're supposed to do as the church and as Christians, we're supposed to be the thermostat, not the thermometer. We're supposed to set the culture, not reflect the culture. We're supposed to set the temperature, not reflect what it's supposed to be. How about the church getting back to influencing the world again? Come on, let's be an influence in the world again. Let's go. And that's what Daniel did. Uh, They were were salt and they were light. Salt makes things better, light makes things brighter. That's exactly what they did. Watch it. And in verse 15 and 17, it says, At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better. They were tested. And everybody can see, man, these... These men are different than the rest of the world eating the royal food. Hey, these these four young men. There's something different about them. They're in the culture, but they're not living like the culture. And they look healthier. They look better. Have you been juicing? You doing that Daniel fast? Come on, tell me about that, bro. They look better. And so the guard took away the choice food and the wine that they were to drink and he gave them vegetables Daniel influenced him and made a difference Daniel didn't have to defile himself come on somebody he was able to stand firm and love well and God used it and so to these four young men God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning so they're in the culture but they're not living like the culture and Daniel had this understanding of visions and dreams, and, and, and we're going to learn about that in the rest of the series. It's so powerful to see how God used him, but they stood firm. They loved well. They were different. And I want you to notice that they were in the world, but they didn't look like the world. Jesus prayed a prayer for us, and John, it's in his last moments before he goes to the cross. He prays a prayer for his disciples and I think we were included in that prayer he says my prayer is not that you would take them out, he's talking to his father my prayer is not that you take them out of the world but you protect them from the world you protect them from the evil one they're not of the world, my people, he says my followers, my disciples are not not of the world even as I'm not of the world and then the same writer John Later on in the New Testament, in in his three epistles, he he says in 1 John chapter 2, hey, don't love the world. Don't love the things that it offers you. For when you love the world, you you, you don't love, you don't have the love of the Father in you. In other words, you can't love God and love the world at the same time. Jesus said you can't serve two masters you're gonna love one and hate the other you can't be trying to please God and also trying to please everybody in the world at the same time you have to make a decision you have to choose And John continues he says for the world offers only a craving of physical pleasure it's a craving for everything we see it's a pride in our achievements and possessions that's what the world's after these are not from the Father but from this world so what do I do I need to know that the world's fading away. The world's going to end one day, everybody. Along with everything that people crave. But the only thing that lives forever is you and me. And we're going to live in eternity. I need you to know you're going to live eternally. Either in heaven or in hell. It's one of the two. But the one who pleases God. The one who lives a life that's that just says, God, I'm not trying to be perfect. I'm not trying to have it all together. I just, I just love you. He's going to live forever. And so my plea to you this morning is simply this. Let's not fall in love with the world. Let's not fall in love with the things of the world. Let's not try to live like the world. Let's be in the world, but let's be salt in Let's be an example. Let's make an influence. Let's make a difference in the world around us. Let's stand for truth and let's have grace at the same time for people who aren't like us. Let's take, let's, let, let's, let's do everything we can as long as we can, as much as we can to help people find and follow Jesus Christ and make a difference in the world around us. Live in it, but don't live like it. Here's the second thing I, I just felt like God needed you to know today is that when you honor God, He honors you. And I don't mean this in some sort of like prosperity way, like name it, claim it. I just mean that when you honor God, He will honor you. We'll talk next week about the one time that we see God standing. You honor God, He'll honor you. And What does this mean? This means stay true till the end. God's not after performance. He's not after perfection. He's not after you doing everything just right and being perfect to get to heaven. He's not after that. What He wants is pursuit. He wants a relationship with you. He wants to know you. He wants to be in relationship with you. And and the way we honor God is with our our decisions. It's with our life. It's the way it's the way we approach God. It's not about doing everything right, crossing all the T's, dotting all the I's. It's simply about falling in love with Jesus. And if I fall in love with him, I don't have to live right. I get to live right. I get to stand firm. I get to have grace, right? And so so we he's looking for some people who would who would make up their minds who would honor him, who would refuse to defile their bodies. And when they do, look at this in in Daniel 1 verse 18, it says, at the end of the time, this is the three years that was set for them, at the end of this three years set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. And the king talked with them and he found none equal. I like like that song we sang earlier about God, no one beside. There was no one equal to these four young men in all of the young men that they were training up. So they entered the king's service. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better than all the magicians, all the enchanters in the whole kingdom. What happened? God elevated them to a place of authority that they could not get to on their own. They couldn't have been good enough. They couldn't have done everything right. But, but they honored God, and God honored them and gave them authority in the kingdom and kingdoms of Babylon for generations. And so they, what happens is they, they live their life in such a way that they're making a difference in people, positively making a difference. Now, Daniel... Was, and, and these Hebrew boys were about 16 years old when they came to Babylon. When they were forced to leave Jerusalem. They were young people. They had been torn away from their homes. Forced into a new culture. You do what we tell you to do. You live how we tell you to live. Or else. Daniel chose. Daniel and these, these three young men, they chose to stand firm and God honors them. Daniel's about 16 when he shows up there. He lives there for about 70 years. Fast forward to the end of Daniel's life. He's not in Jerusalem. He's living in a foreign land. He has served four kings. They continually sought after Daniel as a leader in a foreign land. What do you think Daniel wanted more than anything else? Go back home maybe see his people restored and that's exactly what he did we don't know that he got to go back home but he got to see the first people return back to Jerusalem after 70 years of exile he honored God and God honored him and I love uh, I love this song that we sing says It's it's Christ Be Magnified, one of my favorite songs. But the part that I love the most about the whole song is the bridge that says, I won't bow to idols. And I just think for us, maybe today we're going to end a little bit different. Maybe we could, maybe we could strengthen our convictions today and say, you know what, I'm not going to bow to idols. I'm going to stand strong and I'm going to worship God. I'm going to solidify today that I belong to the King of Kings. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I love this I won't bow to idols I'll stand strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice 'cause You're there too and I won't be formed by feelings I'll hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation I'll be because death is just a doorway into resurrection life. And if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise. Oh that bridge one more time it says I won't bow to idols I'd love for you to just lift up your hands if you feel comfortable let's make this a declaration I won't bow to idols I'll stand strong and worship you and if it puts me in the fire I'll rejoice cause you're there too and I won't be formed by feelings I'll hold fast to what is true if the cross brings transformation, then I'll be crucified with you, cause death is just a doorway into resurrection life, and if I join you in your suffering, then I'll join you when you rise, in me and oh Christ be magnified from the altar of my life Christ be magnified in me that's our prayer today church that Christ will be magnified in us that we stand strong that we stand firm but love well let me pray for us today Lord I love you I'm so grateful for every person here. God, you're calling us to live counterculture. to not just be dogmatic, to not just stand firm, but to love well, to have grace, to have truth, to have grace too. This delicate rhythm that you're calling us to. God, I'm asking you for strength for every one of the believers in this room today, those who are feeling the pressure of a confrontation, they're feeling the pressure to compromise, they're feeling the pressure of a change, that the enemy's trying to hold them down, is trying to is trying to put a lie over them, trying to initiate a lie about their identity or who they are. Is trying to label them for something that they are not, God. We rebuke that in Jesus' name. And we thank you that we are who, we, who you say we are. We're children of the most high God. You get to define us. We want to we live a stand-up life in a bow down world with your head still bowed, maybe you're here today and maybe you've been living like the culture. Maybe you've been far from God. Maybe you've drifted. Maybe, maybe you were a Christian at one time and and you're what we maybe would call backslidden. You fell away from God. You chose to go a different way. You chose like the people of Israel to do it your way. And it's not been working. Honestly, you realize that today you're, you're in a place that's far from God and you feel the weight of sin you feel the weight of your guilt and condemnation you feel the burden of living far from God and maybe living in love with the things of the world and today God's calling you out of the world not to live like the world but to live in the world As a follower of Jesus Christ, you want to give your life to Jesus today. Surrender, complete control, make him the Lord of your life. It comes, it starts with surrender. It's a decision today to say, I surrender. I'm giving it all to Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. If that's you, on the count of three, boldly slip up your hand. One, two, three. I'm going all in today. I see you. God bless you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, come on somebody, 15, 16, 17, 18, I'm so proud of every single one of you just going all in, I see in the back, God bless you, I'm proud of every one of you, you are, you are making a stand today, you are doing exactly what God has longed for, he's not mad at you, he's just wanting you to come home, he's just wanting a relationship with you, come on, let's give it up for every person who's made a decision today. I want to lead you in a prayer. If you raised your hand, I want everybody in the room to say this with me. But if you lifted your hand today, mean this prayer with all you've got. And we're going to help you with next steps. All right? So say this prayer with me. Everybody say it together. Say, Jesus, I surrender. Today, I give my life 100%. I'm, I'm all in. Will you forgive me? Cleanse me. Wash me. I need you in my life. From this point forward, I choose to make you Lord of my life, to direct me, to lead me, guide me. And from this day forward, I'll live for you the best that I know how. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Come on, let's give God praise today. Amen. Let's give Jesus all the praise one more time. God is good. And I'm just so proud of you for everybody who said I'm, I'm going